0: Well, good morning, my name is Tim, and I'm the pastor at Phoenix Bible Church in Central Phoenix, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you to continue this series in the book of Mark as we look at the life of Jesus, what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. But I got to be here about two years ago, and at that time, Phoenix Bible Church, my church was two years old, and we were kinda like a toddler, just bumping into things and trying to figure out what it means to be a church. And, and now, our, our church is four years old, and we've seen God do so much. We saw six people get baptized just last Sunday. Uh, we have a church building now on a Sunday morning in the heart of our city, proclaiming the gospel. And uh, we're just so thankful for Desert Springs Bible Church. Maybe you're new to this church, it's your first Sunday here, and uh, you should know that you should come to this church. Uh, It's an amazing church. They've been a vital part of of our ministry in another part of our city, different people, different context, same Christ. And they prayed for us from the beginning. They've given us wisdom, they've given us partnership, and we are here today in part due to Desert Springs Bible Church. So I, I love this church. I love their pastors. I'm feeling the love in an extra special way today as they bring me in to talk about taxes and government. Um, I'm going to have to bring Pastor Caleb in to talk about end times or something like that just to return the favor, right? Uh, But I I am glad to, uh, to be here today to talk with you about an important topic. Uh, An important topic that Jesus addresses, so we're gonna address it, taxes and government, and I believe it's gonna be helpful for you beyond your relationship with the IRS, all right? So if you're new, stick with me on this. Mark chapter 12, grab a Bible and head there. We're gonna dig right in. Mark 12, verse 13. Our first point, if you do take notes, is the trap. The trap, verse 13 of Mark chapter 12. Now to set the stage, this is the last week of Jesus's life. This is a Wednesday, Jesus dies on a Friday. And so it's getting down to the wire here in Jesus's ministry in the book of Mark as a whole. And people in this time are typically falling in one of two camps. They're either thrilled with Jesus or they feel threatened by Jesus. You see this vividly on Palm Sunday, a little bit before this, as people wave palm leaves and welcome Jesus in, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, Jesus. You're our Savior. We love you, Jesus. They're praising Jesus. They're thrilled with him. But then you also see some people who are, are threatened by him. And we see those people in this passage. Look at the text with me. We see the Pharisees and the Herodians, Now the Pharisees, maybe some of us are familiar with those. These are the religious leaders of the day. They were really intent on being good on the outside. That's why Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. Look good on the outside, but on the inside, in their hearts, they're, they're far from God, they're dead. But they, they knew the Ten Commandments, but not just the Ten Commandments. They knew the 613 laws in the book of Exodus. They knew them well, they could even recite them, and they could live them on the outside, but not believe them with their heart. That's, that's the Pharisees, they feel threatened by Jesus. But you also have the Herodians. The Herodians are not religious, they're, they're political. That many of them are Jews, but they buddied up to Rome, who's now in charge of the Jews and ruling over the Israelites. And the Herodians have buddied up to the government, and they're political, and the Jews didn't like them. The Pharisees didn't like them. The Pharisees and the Herodians did not like one another. But yet in our passage, they've joined forces. In our our passage, they come to Jesus Together, right? So what's happened? They, they've merged. They've combined, right? It would be like Apple and Microsoft merging. Never would happen. No, right? Impossible. It would be like the 49ers and the Cardinals combining teams. I know, blasphemy, right? But it would be like, listen, it would be like the 49ers and the Cardinals combining teams to defeat the Seahawks, right? For a greater good, a greater cause, they would combine for such a time as this, right? That's what's happening here. The Herodians, the Pharisees, they don't like each other. They're not joining together, locking arms with one another because they're like, man, I'm starting to like your political side. But all those commandments that you preach to me all the time, Pharisees, like, man, let's just hang out more. That's not what's happening. They are combining, not because they like each other, but because they hate Jesus. They hate him. They wanna take him down. In fact, Mark says it, they wanna set a trap for Jesus. Now that word trap in the original language is an interesting word. It's the idea of hunting. And so if you hunt or if you fish, how do you do that? Do you just walk up to the deer and shoot them? That'd be amazing if you could do that. Do you just, when you fish, do you just reach down in the water and grab the fish and squeeze them with your bare hands? That'd be impressive. But I think the most, most of us, the way you hunt, the way you fish, is how? Strategy. You lure them in, you, you maybe throw some bait out there, you maybe give a call, make a sound that sounds like one of them because you're a hunter, right? You throw on camouflage, you you try to lure them in, and just when they get close enough to take the bite, take them out, right? That's what's happening here. These Pharisees, these Herodians, they're hunting Jesus, they're trapping Jesus. They didn't just happen to run into Jesus. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? No, they're they're trapping Jesus. They're out to get him because they feel threatened by Jesus. So they're luring him in, how do they do that? Verse 14, look at the verse. They say, Jesus, you are true. I mean, Jesus, you you don't care about people's opinions. Jesus, you're not swayed by appearances. You teach the way of God. Now remember, they don't believe any of that. Can you imagine them trying to say that and pull it off and lure him in and bait Jesus, knowing they don't believe any of that? what they just said husbands this is you saying honey I'll take out the trash I got the kids tonight honey could you call the cops because it's got to be illegal to look that good I had to look that one up I'm not gonna lie but it's doing all of that and then listen just a few hours later saying honey you don't mind if I go out with the guys do you you know not if I go play golf tomorrow. No, I don't do that. I know you do that, husbands, but I've never, would never do that with my wife. But that's what's happening, right? They're, they're luring him in. They're trying to set the hook. They're hunting. They're throwing out the bait, trying to set the hook. How do they set the hook? Look at the text with me. They ask Jesus a simple question. Should we pay taxes or not? Should we give Caesar these taxes or should we not? Now, maybe some of you are thinking, Tim, that's a lot of buildup there. That's a lot of hunting and luring and baiting to ask a really simple question, like, should we pay taxes or not? Like, I, I don't really get that that's such a hook or a trap. I mean, I don't like paying my taxes, but I pay them because I don't want to go to jail, right? What's the big debate about paying taxes? We see you have to put yourself in their shoes. In that Jewish culture, this was a debate. You see, they're under Roman rule right now, but that's not what their Old Testament said. You see, they would know, Genesis chapter 12, the Abrahamic covenant, that God says, Abraham, I will bless you. Go to the land that I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna bless you, Abraham, and I'm gonna give you some land. They would know Moses, who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, but who was leading them to a promised land. Land, that they were gonna inherit, that they were gonna have the rights to, that they were gonna be entitled to, that they would have their own land. That's the Jewish context, and yet in this moment, in this season, they don't have their land. In fact, Roman rule is ruling over them and their land, and they're charging them taxes to live in it. Do you see the debate? Should we pay taxes or should we not? I mean, we know the Old Testament. This is supposed to be ours. Should we pay taxes, Jesus, or should we not? And that's the hook. That's the hot topic of their day. And it's an impossible topic for Jesus. You see, the Pharisees, remember, they're religious. And they would love, in this moment, for Jesus to say, yes, pay your taxes. Why? Because... The religious leaders, people used to look to them. People used to go to them. But now, they're going to this Messiah, Jesus. This savior, Jesus. They used to go to them, now they're going to him. And so they they would think, hey, if Jesus would just say yes to this question, here's why it's a trap for the Pharisees. If Jesus would just say yes to this question, yes, pay your taxes, then they could go to all of their followers and all of Jesus's followers and say, "See? He's not so special after all. Messiah, anointed one, chosen one? He's just like everybody else. A flash in the pan. He's weak." unwilling to stand up to our cruel government, unwilling to stand up to Rome and take back what is rightfully ours and set up a new kingdom. And so they would love for Jesus just to simply say, yeah, pay your taxes. The Herodians, on the other hand, they would have loved for Jesus to say, no, don't pay your taxes, why? Because then, as they are political, buddied up with Rome, they could go to Pontius Pilate say, hey, Pontius Pilate, hey, we heard Jesus say something really crazy. He said, don't pay your taxes. I mean, he's instigating a rebellion against you. Like, we gotta kill this guy. We gotta take him down. So Jesus is involved in this trap, this impossible situation. How does he respond? Look at the text with me again. Our second point is the twist. Verse 15 says this, but knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? You See, Jesus knows this isn't a discussion, this is a quiz, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, that was a coin worth about a day's wage, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, it's Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God and they marveled at him. So did they set the hook? No. Right in classic Jesus form, he doesn't give them the closed ended answer that they are looking for. He doesn't just say yes. He doesn't just say no. He doesn't appease the Pharisees or the Herodians. What I love about Jesus is he gives to a closed ended question two answers. (laughs) You notice that? This is the way Jesus rolls, if you've read in the Gospel of Mark. He gives two answers. The first answer is, pay your taxes. He actually says, render. It's an interesting word, render. It's the idea of obligation, not option. It's the idea of duty, but not necessarily delight. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you don't have to love your taxes. Nobody does. But you've got to pay them. It's not an option. Render to Caesar what is Caesar. So yes, pay your taxes. And the way he illustrates this is he says, hey, come bring me a coin. Notice Jesus doesn't have one, but he says, hey, go get me one of these coins, one of these denarius, and, and show me it. And he starts to show them this coin and say, who, who, whose inscription is on this coin? Who, whose likeness, whose image is on this coin? Well, Caesar's, well then, Yeah, give Caesar back his coin. Yeah, pay your taxes. It's the same thing we read in Romans chapter 13 that ultimately governments are under God. Romans 13, Paul lays this out that we should submit to our governments because ultimately God is the banner waving over them. Ultimately, God is in control. God is sovereign. God puts people in places of power and he takes them down. God is in control. Trust God, submit to the government. Even a corrupt one like Rome, even ones you don't agree with in America, even the Republican Party that's in charge, even the Democratic Party that's in charge, Paul saying, and Jesus would say, "At the end of the day, we trust God and we submit to our, our government." So we pay our taxes. We pray for our leaders. We submit to authority. Listen, disciples of Jesus are not anarchists lawbreakers, that's not who we are, that's not Christ-like, and Jesus is making that point, point. and so the first question for you today is, do you do that? Do you submit to your authorities? Do you pray for your leaders, or do you just post about them? Right? Do you pay your taxes, or if you're honest, do you try to cheat the system? That's part of what Jesus is saying here, and we should assess that, we should analyze that in our lives and see, is there anything in our lives that doesn't match up with what Jesus is saying here? That's part of what Jesus is saying, but it's just part. Remember, there's there's two answers to this question that Jesus gives. The second one, keep looking with me, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but you give to God the things that are God's. Now, you gotta picture this, or else you'll miss it. Jesus is holding a coin that has an image on it. It's Caesar's image. And he says, hey, this has Caesar's image on it, and so give it back to Caesar. It has his image on it. But he doesn't stop there, right? He says, give God the things that are God's. Well, what has God's image on it? You. Genesis 1, God created man and woman in his image, his own image, in his likeness. St. Augustine said this, that Christ's coin is man. It's no mistake, listen, it's no mistake that Jesus gets out this coin and says, whose image is on this? It's Caesar's. We'll give it back to him. And then directly connects that to whose image is on you? Will you give that to God? You give your whole self to God. Yes, pay your taxes. But this is not just about taxes. This is about total and utter surrender to God Almighty. That's what this passage is about. Listen, some of you may have read this passage before or heard this before and you you stopped with, be a good Christian, pay your taxes, but that's not the crux of this passage. Yes, you should be a good Christian and pay your taxes. Yes, you should pray for your leaders. Yes, you should do all those things. Pay your taxes, but to surrender to God. That's the ultimate point of this passage. And if we're not careful, will miss it. So how are you doing with our government? But more importantly, how are you doing with God? Are you giving God you? Are you giving God all of you? It's no mistake that in this passage, as Mark writes this down for us, that we see government and we see worship. We see government, and we see worship. Could it be that the reason that is is because we often confuse those two things? Could it be that Jesus pairs these two things together because we often get confused between government and worship? In that day, listen, in our day, just this week, my oldest daughter, who's nine years old, just came up and asked me, hey Daddy, why do people hate Kirsten Cinema so much? <laughs> if you don't know, we're in an election season right now, right? You should vote. Why do people hate Kirsten Cinema so much? And then she asked me, and why is Martha McSally such a bad person? <laughs> now, I haven't given my nine year old daughter a rundown on politics. Right, I haven't given her updates on the election. I haven't handed her the resumes of Martha McSally and Kirsten Cinema. She knows nothing of that. All she knows is what she overhears on TV. And in her mind, something is off, right? We should listen to our kids. Is it possible that we've confused government and worship Is it possible that not only a trap has been set for Jesus, but a trap has been set for you, Maybe not around should you pay your taxes or not. You're like, hey, I don't like taxes. Should they be higher, should they be lower? Like we can get a conversation about that. Maybe it's not centered on should you pay taxes or not. You got some other beef with taxes, but it's not around that exact question, but it's a trap set around other things. Other things like should we place political party and position over empathy and image. Maybe that's the trap that's been set for us, for you. Maybe it's a trap that's been set of, hey, hey, should we stand with Fox News or CNN over and above the Bible? Hey, we should, should we stand with this person or this person over and above the person of Jesus Christ? There was a trap set for Jesus, and as a disciple of Jesus, there will be traps set for you. And part of them are related to government and to worship, that we can confuse those two things, and Jesus, in his grace and in his truth, is gonna give us clarity today. He brings clarity in their time, he's gonna bring clarity in our time, and he says, give Caesar what Caesar's, but you give God everything. Pastor Caleb asked a really great, great question last week. He said, when people see you, what do they see? When people see you, what do they see? Do they see a side or do they see surrender? Do they see a political box or do they see a biblical framework? Do they see a party or do they see the person of Jesus Christ? When people see you, what do they see? Listen, give politicians your vote, but give God your life. Love your country, but worship Jesus. Don't get them confused. A Jesus in this moment wherever you are on the political spectrum in relation to our government, he's given you clarity. Make sure, make sure you vote. But give God your life. Make sure you love your country. Listen, I love our country. Part of the reason I love our country is we can be doing this right now. We have the freedom to do that. We should thank God for that. We should pray for our leaders. I love our country, but I worship Jesus. When people see you, what do they see? What in your life needs to be surrendered to God? His image is on you. You give to God the things that are his. What has his image on it? It is you, you give God your whole self. You give the coin to Caesar, you pay your taxes, but you give God your whole self. What do you need to give God this morning? What do you need to surrender? You see, I think about for my life, I don't know if it is this way for you, but but when I think about giving God my life or inviting God into my life, what I think about is kinda like how I organize my house. Right, God, you could come in my living room, but not my bedroom. God, you could come in my, my dining table maybe every once in a while as we pray before dinner, but don't come in this closet. Anybody relate to that? We invite God in our life, but really we're just inviting him into certain rooms in our heart. We're compartmentalizing him. Like some of you, you just put him in the medicine cabinet and get him out when you need help, right? But he's not ruling and reigning over your house, over your heart, over your whole life. You're not giving God your whole self. And so you'll say, God, <laughs> you, really, you really love me. I, I am a child of God. And so God, I'll give you my Sunday, but not my Monday. God, I'll give you my spirituality, but not my sexuality. God, I'll give you my worship. I'll raise my hands, but I don't know if I want to give you my wallet. And we give God parts of us and not the whole of us. Where are you today? Maybe you need to surrender, God, a room in your house that you don't wanna go to, that you don't want God to go to, that you don't wanna talk about, that you have a lot of shame about. There's some things that you've done in that room and there's some things that have been done to you in that room and you don't wanna give God that. That's exactly what God is calling you to give up today. His image is on you, all of you. You need to give God, all of you. Maybe for some of you it is politics. Maybe you get so angered on social media as you watch the news. You get so invested to the point where it's almost idolatry. And maybe you need to honestly say, God, I love my country. I love the Republican Party. I love the Democratic Party, but I wanna make sure in my life that I worship you, and maybe you need to surrender with empty hands of faith to God this morning your politics. Maybe that's what it is for some of you. Maybe for some of you it's something entirely different than that. You know what that is, don't you? You know what that is. That room, that closet in your heart, and God's saying, hey, you gotta let me in that too. You give your whole self to me, what is that for you? We have a great time to do this right now in this four weeks of prayer that you guys just started last week. I love that you guys are doing this. I heard Pastor Caleb talk about it. If you missed that sermon, go back online and listen to it. It's very important in the life of your church. And, and I love Pastor Caleb's leadership that he didn't just talk about a strategy, but he emphasized surrender. He talked about it. You guys are a 41-year-old church. And you could come up with lots of strategies. You could scramble to to problem solve and create a great vision and plan for your future and maybe Caleb could get up here and do that and get some class. But I love Caleb's leadership that he said, hey, we don't wanna do that. Because that may sound good in a moment but we want this thing to last a lifetime. And so he said, hey, we're just gonna surrender. Over the next four weeks, I don't know what that looks like, but we're just gonna pray. So you've been invited to text in to a number and get text messages and pray along with one another and collectively as a church, in your lives and in your church, surrender before God. And I love that you're doing that. Maybe some of you, you need to take these four weeks and examine in your family, with your kids, with your roommate, at your job, in your finances, in your sexuality, in your sin. And you need to take these four weeks and pray and see what areas of, of my life am I holding on to that I need to let go of and give God those things? Some of you need to do that. As a church, collectively, you need to do that, surrender. At Phoenix Bible Church, we had an opportunity to do this several months ago. Uh, We're almost, we're just now four years old as a church, and in May, uh, we've met at a, a school almost the entire life of our church. But in May, we got a notice of eviction six weeks to move the church. I got a call on a Friday, hey, six weeks from now, you guys can't meet here anymore, we're breaking our rental agreement. And in that moment, on a Friday afternoon, as a pastor, I had a couple choices, and one of those was, hey, preach the sermon as planned on Sunday, and do that thing, and then we'll figure things out, we'll strategize, and we'll get a plan together, and then we'll sprinkle some Jesus on it, And then the next Sunday, I'll roll out this great plan. Like, hey, church, we're getting evicted, but God has something greater in store for us. Church, stick with me on this. We're we're going over that mountain. We got our own promised land. And I know it seems dark right now, and we're in the valley, but we're going over the mountain. That that ran through my mind. As I talked to a few other leaders in our church, and even talking to Pastor Caleb in that moment, that, that ran through my mind. But ultimately, that's not what we did. You see, on Sunday, I I scrapped the sermon and I said to our church, hey hey, church, this is how we've started the church, opportunity through obstacles, purpose, purpose through pain. And this is how God's gonna continue this church. And I don't know what that's gonna look like. We just got an eviction notice and we gotta move our church in six weeks and I don't know where we're gonna go. But I said, I do know this, we're not gonna scramble, we're not gonna solve, we're gonna surrender. And so we took a week to pray. Everybody set their alarms for noon each day and we just took that week to pray and surrender to God. And you need to know, that was the longest week of my life. (laughs) I had to move a church in six weeks, I didn't know where we were gonna meet. But we took that week to pray and God used that. God refined our hearts as we surrendered everything to him and he made provision. And he provided a church building, not another school to set up and tear down He provided a church building on a Sunday morning in the heart of our city. We got evicted, but we massively upgraded because that's how God rolls. We surrender, God moves. We stop, God moves. And now everybody in my church, that, that is the legacy of God's faithfulness to us. We surrender and God moves. God takes care of us. God takes us further than we could ever go without him. But it starts with surrender, it starts with giving your whole self to God. There's another trap later on in this passage, and it's the trap where some people come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? It's a trap, and Jesus responds with what? You love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You give God all of you. You give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You give to God what is God's. You give God you. What do you need to give God this morning? Let me pray.